0: Hey, what is going on, ASM? I am so excited to be back with you. We are continuing our study in John. This week, we are in chapter nine, looking at the entire chapter. Uh, In our story today, we have a few characters. We have Jesus, his disciples, a blind man, uh, the blind man's neighbors, and then some Pharisees as well. First, uh, Jesus and his disciples come across a blind man. Uh, Jesus rubs mud on this man's eyes so he can see again. Then upon finding out, his neighbors are so confused and they're so surprised that they don't even believe it. So they take him to the Pharisees to ask them about it. Next, the Pharisees get upset that Jesus is doing these things. Uh, So they interrogate the man to try and find out how he did it or get him to denounce Jesus. And finally, after getting kicked out of the synagogue, the blind man has an amazing interaction with Jesus. And it teaches us so many lessons and has so many layers of how Jesus is working. This passage we are getting to go through today has been so much fun to go through. Uh, It's so much fun to study and so much fun to look at commentaries. The more I've read about it, the more I've studied it, uh, the more I've been able to see how many different ways Jesus is working in this just one interaction. Before we get into it, let's pray real fast. God, I thank you so much for this time Lord, I pray that you will speak through me and that you will give me the words to speak in this time. God, I pray for each of the students that are listening to this, that you will open up their hearts and so that they might hear what it means to be spiritually blind so that we can avoid it and ask you for sight. God, I pray once again for this time. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. So we're starting off, Jesus is on a walk with the boys. It's him and the 12 disciples, and they're just chilling. They're probably having some super awesome conversation, but they come across this blind man as they are walking. And the disciples ask Jesus a somewhat interesting question. If we look at chapter 9, verse 2, they say, it says, His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? This is a pretty weird question without any context. But when we look at the time that they were in, it was, it was a, there was a pretty common held belief that someone's own sin was the cause of all of the suffering in their life. Jesus even tells a man that he heals in John chapter five to stop sinning or else worse might happen to you. So this question makes sense. The disciples saw this man and were wondering what the cause of his blindness was. But their mistake is that they assumed the cause of every bad thing happening to every person was the cause of their own personal sin, which we know is just not the case. And Jesus responds to their question about the sin. And he says, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Have you ever been hanging out with a friend? Maybe you're in public and they look over at you and they just say, hey, Record this. That is what Jesus is doing right here. There aren't many clearer signs that Jesus gives his disciples to pay attention right now. He's telling his disciples, get a phone out, record this, I'm going to do something cool. He says, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. He's saying that at some point in history, and inferring in this moment specifically, that the work of God will be shown in his life. So? Let's take a look at the work of God that happens. After saying this, Jesus spit on the ground. He made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Maybe you're like me and you read this passage and you just thought, gross, How weird would it be if you went up to someone, let alone a blind person, and just spit and rubbed it in their eyes? Or I can rephrase it, how many of you would like to come up to me and let me spit in their eyes? Of course not. That is like Nobody would want that. That's gross. It's disgusting for us. But once again, let's look at the context. This actually wasn't very weird for the time. In fact, there was a common held belief that saliva had healing properties to it. And it actually is somewhat backed by science that saliva can speed up the healing process for certain things. But if we even take a look at Mark 8, Jesus does something very similar to this man and where he spits again. Mark eight twenty-two through 24 said, They came to Bethsaida and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village when he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, "Do you see anything?" He looked up and said, "I see people. They look like trees walking around." So at the time, spitting on wounds and ailments and even blind people's eyes when they were blind, it was a pretty common practice. It wasn't very weird. And you might be thinking, but Mitchell, in the John passage we read, Jesus didn't directly spit in his eyes. He didn't directly even just put his own spit. Well, very observant student, you are right. Let's read it again. It says, Jesus spit on the ground first, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. So in Mark, he just spits in the man's eyes, rubs his eyes, and he's, he can see. But in John, a different story, he spits on the ground, makes mud with it, and tells the man to leave so that he can wash his face. And then he can see. Clearly, the mud is of no practical purpose. There must be some symbolism here. And a quick tip if you're reading the Bible and you're not sure why things aren't lining up or it sounds a little weird, go study it. So let's do that right now. If we think about it for a moment, every instance in the Bible, except for a couple, have, uh, of, of dirt and filth and dust all have negative connotations. In the Old Testament, there are verses like, I will throw filth on you, or the Lord washes away your filth. In the New Testament, it's related to sin. Jesus washes away the dirt, etc. But there is one instance where something is created out of dust. And a very important something at that if we look at the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis 2:7 says, Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed it into his nostrils, the breath of life. And man became a living being. Man was made out of dust. Adam's name pronoun- uh, pronounced in the Hebrew Adam means of the earth. Of course Jesus knows this. The disciples know this. The Pharisees who we're about to see in a second know this. Jesus is making a clear parallel to the beginning of time, the creation of man by rubbing mud in his eyes. Jesus is effectively creating new eyes for this man. And if we follow that thought, we can see that the fact that uh, the one who was there at the time of creation, the one who everything is created through, is on earth at this moment creating something. But instead of wiping the mud away from the man's face or just wiping the guy's eyes clean like he did in Mark, he sends him to a pool of Siloam, which is just outside the city. And so as the man is coming back into the city, he runs into his neighbors before he sees Jesus again. And his neighbors, when he first interacts with him, they just did not know what to do. They didn't believe it was him. And I I honestly wouldn't either. The people who were in the blind man's life were so surprised and shocked that he was healed from such a debilitating uh, ailment. They were so confused at this miracle that they thought he was someone else. They did what was pretty logical as as a next step and they took him to the Pharisees. And once he was brought to the Pharisees, there is a pretty heated debate that comes out. People are split. Some people aren't sure if they can approve of this. It came out that Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath, which to the Pharisees was a huge no-no to them. Some people just didn't like Jesus in the first place. So they just were upset that he was doing anything, that he was healing at all. But it gets to the point where they have, they're having such a hard time believing this man who was once blind, that they bring his parents Into the conversation. If we take a look, it says, They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? They asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Did you catch that? His parents didn't want to answer the question about Jesus, which means it implies that they knew it was Jesus that healed their son. But instead, they diverted the question back to their son and told the Pharisees that he can tell the truth for himself. A, that's pretty smart on their part. They didn't want to get kicked out of the synagogue. But B, kind of fake of the parents to just divert the question back to their son. And they say, ah, he can answer. I'm not doing that. But nonetheless, the Pharisees go back to the son. They go back to the man. And what happens next has turned into my, one of my favorite uh, exchanges in scripture. It's a, the Pharisees say, give glory to God by telling the truth. They said, We know this man is a sinner. He replied, Whether he, meaning Jesus, is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know is I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? The man answered, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. This blind man has been interrogated several times by different people. Many don't believe him. People are starting to get mad at him for saying Jesus did it. He is experiencing one of the greatest miracles of his lifetime and people are getting upset. So he responds in the best and most Seattle-like way possible with sarcasm. The blind man says, I know how he healed me. I told you how he healed me. Why do you want to keep hearing about it? And he asks the Pharisees who have spent their entire life studying the Old Testament. Uh, they've, they've considered themselves disciples under Moses. He knows this. And he asks them, do you want to study him and become his disciples? And the Pharisees essentially just say back to him, know you. That's all they have. They are so trapped in their logic. They have gone in so many circles and argued so much that they result to insults and just yelling at this guy. But it doesn't even stop there. This blind man goes on to tell the Pharisees that, he mu- that Jesus must be from God, no matter what they say. But once again, they are so deep in their thinking that they are just staying put. No budging at all in their opinion. And this man challenges them so much that they kick him out of the synagogue. And this is where Jesus steps back in. If you remember at the beginning of all of this, when the disciples asked why the man was blind, Jesus said, This happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And I do believe that Jesus was inferring somewhat about the blindness that was was about to be healed but he was also alluding heavily to this moment, this interaction that is about to happen. God has worked in him, and this man has shown faith after persecution, and so here's their interaction. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, "'Do you believe in the Son of Man?' "'Who is he, sir?' the man asked. "'Tell me so that I might believe in him.' Jesus said, "'You have now seen him. "'In fact, he is the one speaking with you, Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment, I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. As I said, I do believe this miracle happened partially so that this man could see and follow Jesus. But I also believe that the bulk of this miracle was to show us the true image of spiritual blindness. You see, what happened is that the Pharisees were so focused, so fixated, so aimed at the thought of Jesus' sin that they became blind to the work of God that happened right in front of them. Jesus has been showing us this message over and over again that he is the light of the world. He gives people sight. He talked about it in previous chapters in John and in the other Gospels, and he talks about it here that Jesus is the light of the world, and he provides sight to those who are blind. Jesus did not have to send the man away so he'd find himself in the synagogue. He healed the lame man on the spot. He raised Lazarus right when he first went to his tomb. He fed the 5,000 right then and there. But Jesus did these things so that the Pharisees could be a display, an albeit an unfortunate display, of what it means to be spiritually blind. And though we all know this, I still feel the need to say this, they did not know that they were spiritually blind but they sure as heck knew what the implications were of saying that. It meant they were a failure in their craft. He is saying that what they have trained for their entire life, what they've studied, it was all in vain. This is the equivalent of Gordon Ramsay going up to a chef and holding bread on either side of their head and calling them an idiot sandwich. But they did not know that they were blind. And what's difficult to hear for both you and me is that this might be directed at us. If you've grown up in the church or you've been here a while, we need to stop being so fast to take ourselves out of the Pharisees' shoes and just look at them and blame them. You and me are still susceptible to becoming spiritually blind. And you might think, oh, but we learned our lesson. We know not to get mad at people who don't observe the Sabbath. I don't yell at people for sinning. I have grace. I know know people aren't perfect. But being a Pharisee has taken a different shape for us today. Becoming spiritually blind might look different. Let me tell you how I have found myself falling into spiritual blindness and maybe you've done the same. I would invite a friend to church and pawn this friend off to a small group leader or another friend or maybe even my pastor so that they could share the gospel with my friend and I didn't have to risk any loss of relationship. I would listen to sermons and think the whole time about what would make the sermon better, what would make the quality of it better, what would make the speaker better, all the while ignoring the message of the gospel that's being shared right in front of me and not allowing the Holy Spirit to work in my heart because I was so fixated on the quality of the sermon. On the flip side, I might even listen to a sermon and the whole time think, oh man, so-and-so needs to hear this. Or, I'm really glad that this person came to ASM that night. Or, wow, you know, I really wish I had invited this person. They need to hear that. All the while missing the message that is aimed directly at you. I might even ignore the tug of the Holy Spirit as I drive or walk by a homeless person on the side of the road, and I'll think to myself, they got themselves there. They're just a drug addict. It's their fault. What can I do, you know? My point is being spiritually blind can take different forms. And, and it might not even necessarily be a sin to do some of these things. Maybe critiquing a sermon is not necessarily wrong. Maybe thinking that a sermon might be good for another is not completely wrong. And, and bringing somebody uh, to talk with a friend of yours is not necessarily wrong. But when it takes away from the main message of the gospel... And it's an avoidance of you doing something that you ought to be doing, that is when it'll cause blindness. But what we see here is that God alone can fix this blindness. And the idea of the spiritual blindness is applicable to people who are not Christian as well. This blind man, before his interaction with Jesus, was not following him. And Jesus called out both his physical and spiritual blindness. And this man saw it and asked for sight. So I want you to ask yourself, if, if maybe this is your first time hearing this, do you want to become spiritually sighted? Do you want to no longer be spiritually blind? And the first step of, of, of spiritually having sight is to admit that you are blind. And that is the same if you've grown up in the church or if this is your first time listening. But I want you to think about that today. Whether you are a believer or not, what might it look like for you to be spiritually blind? And in what ways have you noticed your specific life showing blindness? Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this time. Lord, I ask that you will open our ears, soften our hearts, and just allow the Holy Spirit to work in us in whatever way we have become calloused, in whatever way we have hardened our hearts. God, allow us to see that clearly so that we can invite the Holy Spirit in to make changes in our life. Lord, convict us when we ignore the message of the gospel. God, I pray that we can continue to hear this message over and over and over again and still have an impact on our lives. Lord, I pray as we continue to go about our weeks that you will remind us of the amazing gift that you have given us in sending your son. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Can't wait to see you again next week.